0: Well, hey there, Church of the City podcasters, Pastor Matt here just wanted to provide a little bit of an introduction to what you are about to hear. This is one of our webinars from our Formation Workshops series. And over the next number of weeks, there's going to be new lectures posted from that series. And so our prayer is that these lectures would be an encouragement to you as you practice the spiritual disciplines in your life to be formed into a disciple of Jesus. So may these lectures bless you. To you and feel free to share these at your leisure. You are loved. Nadine Nias is with us and she is a psychiatrist, primarily, Nadine, you can correct me in a moment um, if I'm wrong on this, but I think primarily working with folks in ministry at this point in your career um, and is trained in all sorts of different therapies and is going to help us kind of tie some of the things that we've been talking about together and maybe take a little bit of a higher level holistic view of how the spiritual disciplines can work in our lives so i'm quite excited about tonight and maybe that introduction doesn't even set it up well nadine so take that was great spencer (laughs) and with that i will
1: turn it over to you take it away okay thanks so much So in these workshops, we've been looking at the spiritual disciplines, which are fantastic things to do to strengthen our spiritual lives. Matt and Spencer have asked me to do a bit of a pulling it all together kind of talk. So tonight, I want to focus on understanding how God has made our bodies and how our bodies impact our ability to benefit from the spiritual disciplines. I want to look specifically at our need for safety. And the importance of learning how to calm our bodies down and understanding that this is crucial to being able to engage in the spiritual disciplines in a way that allows us to really connect with God. So we can engage in the spiritual disciplines, but to engage in the spiritual disciplines in a way where we really experience God versus the spiritual disciplines just being another thing that we have to do and something that ends up making us feel crappy about ourselves if we don't do a good job of it. So first of all, I just want to say a little bit about my background. I was brought up as an atheist and became a Christian in my first year of university. And then I was involved in a fairly results-oriented ministry at university, became a staff member in that organization, and went to Liberia, West Africa as a missionary for three years, where I taught high school sciences and Bible in the late 1970s and 80s. I returned to Canada to stay due to health issues. And I spent a couple of years working with students on a university campus in Canada with a parachurch Christian group. Then I got married and went to seminary. And my first experience in the spiritual disciplines was on a one-week retreat I did at the end of my first year of seminary. It's called Beyond the Quiet Time. That was in 1985. And I actually have been very involved in the spiritual disciplines since. You know, it's interesting because um, I've done retreats, silent retreats, and um, I've actually found them very powerful. Then five years ago, I did the Ignatian exercises, uh, which can be done in a 40-day retreat or an hour a day for 40 weeks. And you meditate on the love of God, on the life and death of Christ, and on your own response to that and your sense of mission. It was profoundly transformative. I'd known about the Ignatian exercises for quite some time, and, uh, but I think really that uh, I was very intimidated to do them. Uh, they sounded very intense and for super spiritual people, but they actually were fantastic. I learned and experienced so much. But if I had to say one thing about them, I would say that I experienced God's love for me in a much deeper and more personal way than I've ever felt in my life. So during and after seminary in the 1980s and 1990s, my husband and I were doing church planting in downtown Toronto. And then I started medical school, after which I did a specialty in psychiatry. And my passion from the start of medical school is always to integrate my faith with my medical training. And for the last 20 years, I've been integrating my faith with various trauma therapies and the many significant neuroscience discoveries about the body related to the lack of emotionally intelligent, regulated parenting and trauma in childhood. So my goal for us tonight is to look at how the biology of our bodies, specifically our autonomic nervous system, impacts our ability to connect with God and to engage in the spiritual disciplines. So I'll be leading you through an exercise and we'll have time for questions at the end. So perhaps write down your questions or you can actually just send them to Spencer in the chat. And he's going to organize um, the questions at the end. In these spiritual discipline seminars, you've been exposed to some great tools on how to connect with, listen to and receive from God. And I'd like to kind of take a step back and consider specifically what is involved when we as human beings are connecting with God, including some of the things that get in the way of our connection with God. You know, we often say love is the most important thing in life. But, you know, I believe safety, not love, but safety, is the first and most basic need we have as human beings. In fact, neuroscience has shown that you can't receive or experience love if you don't feel safe. So I want tonight to look at safety in some detail. I want to look at three main points about safety. What safety is, how that's one, how we experience safety, and what happens if we don't have enough safety, including how it affects our ability to benefit from the spiritual discipline. So, first of all, what safety is. So, I propose that our first need as humans is not for love, but for safety. And I'll back this up by asking you to imagine a tiger coming roaring into the room you're in. At that point, Would you be worried about how loved you were in childhood or in the present? I really don't think so. You'd be fighting or fleeing or freezing in an attempt to survive. We'll get more into the fight, flight, freeze responses in a bit as they are. These are the different options for our body when our brain tells us we're not safe. Now, scientifically, there's very little doubt that our safety is determined by and expressed through how activated our autonomic nervous system is. So we have two nervous systems in our body. Our motor nervous system sends neurons to all the muscles in our body that we have voluntary control over. And our autonomic nervous system sends, muscles to all the bo- nerve, all the, sends nerves to all the muscles in our body that we have no conscious control over. Now, you might wonder, well, what are they? Well, actually, they are 25 feet of gut that are surrounded and lengthwise muscles around those 25 feet of gut. Our whole heart is an auto, is made up of autonomic muscle. And there's about 10,000 blood vessels in your body that are surrounded by autonomic muscles. So Many, many, many muscles in your body that are, that are innervated by your autonomic nervous system. So that part of your nervous system, the autonomic nervous system, is the part that manages threat and that keeps you alive. In fact, it's the most primitive part of our nervous system and is very similar to what you'd find in a reptile. And this is a big advantage. God designed us this way because the autonomic nervous system is simple. And so it can be very fast. It needs to be fast so it can keep us alive in emergencies. So two to three times as fast as your brain can formulate a single thought about a threat. Your body, led by your autonomic nervous system, has already responded. Two to three times as fast. And approximately four Times per second, your brain assesses for safety. And how it does that is it combines your past experience with incoming information from the external world in your five senses, sight, hearing, touch, taste, smell, and from your internal world via your internal senses, like your sense of your body in space, pressure, pain, temperature, movement, hunger, thirst. You've got all kinds of internal sensations. And, and nerve endings that pick those up. So let's try something. If you feel comfortable with it, if you want to, close your eyes and scan your body from the top of your head to your toes. Now, by scan, I mean, put your attention to the top of your head and just move your attention slowly through your body, right down to your toes. What bodily sensations do you notice? I just, I'm going to give you a minute to do that. So next, focus on your breathing. Just notice it. The air coming in through your nose, filling up your lungs, your chest expanding, and the air coming out. And if you can, slow your breathing down a bit. I'm going to give you time to do that for a minute. Okay, Now scan your body slowly again from the top of your head down to your toes and identify an area that is activated. So what I mean by that is an area where there's, say, tightness, pressure, tingling, swirling, even pain. Any of that can be activation. So notice an activated area in your body. Then notice what part of your body is the most grounded. Now, by grounded, I mean a part of your body that feels really solid, rooted, perhaps your butt or back in your chair or your feet on the ground. So now what I want you to do, if you're comfortable with it, put your attention to the activated area in your body that you identified just for a few seconds and notice what happens Then move your attention to the grounded area in your body. Keep your attention on that area, that grounded area, and notice what happens. Okay, I want to ask you, so this is a question you can answer, um, what you noticed when you did that. And actually, for this question, unlike the other questions, I want some feedback. So you can unmute yourself and just tell me what you noticed when you did that. You don't have to but you know, somebody noticed something that was distinct. Let me know. Nadine,
2: my now I'm thinking about it now. But before doing this, I didn't realize that right between my shoulder blades is sore and like just really, really tight. And so I was sitting here and thinking about it. And when I was Pinpointing and thinking about, it. I was going like this, like moving my shoulders around. Like, oh, it didn't...
1: got worse, in it? Like when it you were
2: thinking about it, when I was thinking about it, I couldn't stop moving. And then as soon as I went to the grounded, my grounded area, I just immediately stopped moving. My shoulders were calm, and I didn't even wasn't even paying attention to it at all anymore. Like I couldn't even. I knew subconsciously it was still there, but it wasn't like I couldn't really feel it as much
1: like as I did yeah. before. Yeah, thanks so much, Andrea. Now that's not your imagination. That is your biology. That's how that's how your autonomic nervous system actually functions. So your autonomic nervous system is very sensitive and very reactive. So when you all you have to do is put your attention to an activated part of your body, and your whole autonomic nervous system is going to get more activated. And when you put your attention to a grounded part of your body, your whole autonomic nervous system is going to calm. Now, you can see why it's a problem when you've got anxiety and you're using your left brain to analyze the problem and to cope with your anxiety because you're focusing on what makes you anxious. And that's just going to make your autonomic nervous system get more activated. That's how anxiety gets perpetuated. And four times per second, your brain assesses information coming in from all of your external senses and these internal senses. So your 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 brain unconsciously is assessing how tense you are to make an assessment of how safe you are. So it's kind of like a feedback loop, and all of this is unconscious, and both the assessments and your autonomic nervous system response to that assessment. And this is important to understand because. We as humans have a particular challenge when it comes to our autonomic nervous system. We've got these great big frontal cortexes that can imagine danger at any point in time for a very long period of time. And that causes adrenaline release, which causes tension and activation in our body. Which are, which our brains assess as lack of safety, which causes more adrenaline release. So we can get into a state where we're chronically activated or chronically in freeze. Now, an animal can't, it doesn't. An animal can't imagine danger like this. An animal responds to danger. And after danger passes, an animal's autonomic nervous system releases that high activation. When you are activated, your body, your autonomic nervous system is focused on threat. The problem with this, there really is a problem with this because when you're focused on threat and highly activated, you interpret things as threatening that somebody who's more settled wouldn't. In this activated state, you're on alert, scanning for threat. Your body is focused on protecting you, keeping you alive, helping you survive. And my point is you cannot experience connection or love in this state of activation. It's kind of like a pipe. If there's water flowing out of a pipe, it's pretty hard to get anything into that pipe. So likewise, if your body, if your nervous system is focused outward, scanning for threat and working to establish safety, you're not going to be able to receive. You have to feel safe to receive. And one of the big problems we have in our modern world is that we have a ton of activation. You know, in the first century, people walked where they needed to go. They didn't get into little metal bullets and fly through the world at a breakneck speed that can kill them if they hit something. You know, people in the first century got up and went to bed with with kind of in sync with the rhythm of the sun. They had no screens. They were aware of bad news, even catastrophes in their immediate community. But they didn't know about that from all corners of the earth. So we are much more activated in our modern world. So that's the first thing I want to talk about is safety. What it is, safety is when our autonomic nervous system is calm, not activated, when adrenaline is not being released into our system to get ready for a real or a perceived threat. Now, the second point that I want to talk about is how we experience safety how is a sense of safety established in our nervous systems? And how this happens is in childhood. We first experience safety in the context of a loving connection with a caregiver that is safe and reliable. In the 1950s, this is understood and formulated as attachment theory. Our safe attachment attachment relationship gives us a secure base from which to go out and explore the world. We take that safety kind of with us. With recent neuroscience, we now know more about how attachment actually influences the development of our autonomic nervous system. In fact, our nervous system does not develop in a healthy way if we don't have a relationship with a reliable, safe caregiver who can be present with us in our emotions, and help us calm those emotions. This is how a child learns that even intense emotions don't have to be scary. This is called co-regulation. So when a regulated adult stays present with a child while they're experiencing overwhelming feelings or really intense feelings, in that safe relationship, the child's autonomic nervous system can settle. From this, the child learns that emotions don't need to be overwhelming or too scary to be in touch with. Now, I'm talking about safety in childhood because it is our childhood experience of safety that determines how our autonomic nervous system develops and responds in adult life. You know, there's a lot of parents, I'm sure you're aware, of young children that don't that, that don't understand what it means to have a settled autonomic nervous system. And not a lot of parents understand the importance of being regulated so they can co-regulate with their child. That is so they can be with their child in intense emotions so that the child can learn that emotions are not a threat, but rather that emotions are important source of wisdom and can be regulated. I also want to point out that the period when children are young is also the time when parents, when adults are most busy It's often the most stressful time in an adult's life. So even if a parent knows how to regulate and co-regulate, it'll be hardest to do in the years when their children need it the most. So we're kind of set up, aren't we? So I wanted to talk about the fact that your nervous system has a gas pedal and a brake. So your gas pedal is adrenaline that's released whenever your brain assesses that there's a threat or lack of safety. And your nervous system has a break, which is primarily your vagus nerve. But we don't really have time to go into that a lot. I just want to say that the gas pedal is fully on board at birth. But the child needs co-regulation for the biological development of a strongly calming relational break in the autonomic nervous system. You do have a freeze break that's on board at birth. But that break has its own problems. But to have a strongly calming relational break in your autonomic nervous system, you need co-regulation. All that to say that most of us come out of childhood with an autonomic nervous system that is not settled. Most of us do not get the co-regulation that God designed us to have. And we end up in childhood to some degree having to manage our emotions on our own and being overwhelmed by them having to manage our autonomic nervous system activation on our own. And that's overwhelming. A child is actually not able biologically to stay present to intense emotions and manage them alone. That's a developmental issue. So when they have the job of taking care of their own emotions, and especially if there are significant dangers they had to manage on their own, their bodies, specifically their autonomic nervous system, the part that manages threat, ends up either being on high alert in fight-flight or overwhelmed in a shutdown-free state. In these states of lack of safety, one cannot connect with other people or receive love and care. And however we manage in childhood, however our autonomic nervous system develops, we carry this pattern into adulthood. That doesn't mean we can't change it. We can, but that's the pattern that's established. Our autonomic nervous system remains activated, scanning for safety and or in free shutdown because this is how we learn to manage in childhood. Now, I want to emphasize that this is how God, this is how dependent God made us. When you think about it, that our nervous systems don't fully develop in a healthy way unless we are in a safe relationship. We come out of the womb looking to connect at 10 minutes of age. Babies can mimic facial expression. And human babies and children are dependent for a very long time compared to other creatures, really for 15, even 20 years. That's up to 20 to 25% of our lives that we're dependent. One could reasonably conclude that God wants us to learn dependence. Doesn't that sound like a setup where he wants to learn what he wants us to learn dependence? Matthew 18, 3 says, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. And I think he's talking about having a dependent posture, not being self-sufficient. It can be argued that sin at its root is self-sufficiency, independence, pursuing satisfaction apart from God. And wasn't that really Satan's temptation in the garden? Was no good and evil. So the humans could be like God their own source. In my study of the Bible, in my my psychiatric practice, and in my life, I've noticed that I and other people go to God when we have need. And I've gotten a distinct impression that God does not have the same perspective on hardship and trials that we do. They seem to go hand in hand with a deeper relationship with him. So God designed us to be dependent the first 15 to 20 years of our lives. And I would argue that this part of his design is that his his design in this is for us to experience relationship and love and to become comfortable with our need. That was his original design. But unfortunately, all of us were born in a fallen world. So often what we learn in childhood is that dependence is not safe. And this brings us to our third point about safety. The first was, what safety is, it's an autonomic nervous system that's calm, not activated. The second is how, to ex- how we experience and establish safety, and that's in childhood by having a parent or caregiver to co-regulate with us. The third point is, what if we don't have enough safety? It's when our biological need for co-regulation in childhood is not met that we develop co-dependent relationships in adulthood. And we look to others to meet our unmet needs from childhood. I don't have time to go into codependence in detail. I just want to point out that God's design is that these needs be met in childhood so that we're launched into adult life, regulating our own basic needs, not that we don't need relationship, we do, but so that we can be reliable, regulated, parents, spouses, friends, leaders. It's also when our biological need for co-regulation is not met that we are at risk of developing addictions, which on a biological level are basically habituated ways of managing our activated autonomic nervous system. Addictions are habits we have formed to manage this activation in our autonomic nervous system. Your autonomic nervous system carries a lot of activation, and your body has a need to discharge it because it accumulates day to day. Sleep doesn't get rid of autonomic nervous system activation. Not all of it, for sure. So we need regular Our activities that settle our autonomic nervous system, and like we already talked about, in the modern world, we have a lack of these. When we talk about this a lot, you know, we talk about self-care and life balance. And this is something important for us to think about developing in our lives, making time to be in nature, exercise, doing relaxing things we enjoy. It's also very empowering, though, to develop intentional activities that slow your autonomic nervous system. Perhaps the best and most research-validated example is slowing your breathing down. When you slow your breathing, it sends a message to your brain. Everything's fine here. No need to release adrenaline. So it's a mechanical, voluntary, and therefore empowering way that you can increase the breaking in your own autonomic nervous system. Now, another thing that's very powerful that incorporates our spirituality is worship, especially a soaking kind of worship where you're where you in a comfortable position, lying or sitting down, and you're listening to very calming, intimate worship music that has lyrics that talk about God's love for 10 minutes or longer, just soaking in that. That can be very settling to the autonomic nervous system. So I just want to come back to this idea that if we don't have, if we aren't regulated, your body biologically is going to do what it needs to do to survive and cope. So if settling activities are not an integrated part of your life, then we're going to develop other ways of discharging activation, which accumulates day to day. For example, orgasm releases a huge amount of autonomic nervous system activation, as well as releasing a large amount of dopamine in, from the pleasure center of your brain. Thus, porn and masturbation are like crack cocaine for an activated nervous system. And many young people who lack co-regulation are very vulnerable to getting hooked on porn and masturbation. So learning to regulate is really critical. And then when we've learned to regulate in a certain way, it can become a deeply ingrained habit. In regard to orgasm, I've met with people who basically use having sex with their spouse as a way to manage their autonomic nervous system activation, even on a daily basis, Thus, sex isn't so much an expression of intimacy in the relationship, it's a needed discharge of autonomic nervous system activation. That's not what God intended. So, angry outbursts and crying outbursts are also release a large amount of autonomic nervous system activation. Exercise can release activation if you don't get activated by being frustrated with how your exercise went. And if you're really competitive about your exercise, you can end up as activated as you started. Alcohol and drugs also settle your autonomic nervous system as they have a final common pathway of dopamine release in the pleasure center of your brain. In fact, addictive behaviors remarkably have the same final result in the brain, release of dopamine. Thus, binging, gambling, shopping, and gaming can all manage the autonomic nervous system activation. The other dynamic that drives some of these addictive behaviors is that if your autonomic nervous system is highly activated, It feels more comfortable, more right for your body and your thoughts to be keeping pace with that high activation. So your thoughts to be racing, for you to be moving around, doing something all the time, for you to be, say, gaming or on Facebook or out shopping or whatever it is. When your autonomic nervous system is highly activated, it's very hard for your body and thoughts to be settled. And this is really relevant to the spiritual disciplines. It's very hard to relax and not very possible to be still, which according to Psalm 46.10 is necessary for knowing that God is God. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. So the roots of addiction go to the deepest places in our being, which are often related to our childhood. Lack of connection, loneliness, unworthiness, abandonment, isolation, loss, trauma, and abuse, these childhood experiences of lack of co-regulation result in high activation and a lack of ability to use safe relationships to settle our autonomic nervous system. Now, let's come back to the spiritual disciplines and consider them in this context of appreciating our need for safety and the value of settling our autonomic nervous system. I want to, look, I want to think about autonomic nervous system in the context of grace and the spiritual disciplines. So grace really is radical. It means that you are good enough just as you are. It means that God will not love you one single bit more if you do all the spiritual disciplines perfectly all the time. Grace means that Jesus' death on the cross is has finished and done away with any value in you striving. To buy into this radical grace requires a radical humility. There's nothing you can do to add to Christ's death for you. There's nothing you can do to earn his death for you. It's pure gift. Now, I want to read a passage in Colossians 2 that really relates to spiritual disciplines, I think. Uh, Colossians two sixteen to, to 23. Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or any respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But Christ himself is the reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they've had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they're not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. You've died with Christ, and He set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. Then Paul concludes with this scandalous verse. He says, these rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, highest self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. I don't know about you, but there's part of me that's really tuned in to these types of markers of my spiritual life and growth. I love having parameters. I look to these to give me a sense of security, of safety. Without markers, how do I achieve? How do I know if I've done enough? This call away from measuring the, my Christian life by performance is all through the New Testament. Galatians 3.1 says, you foolish Galatians, having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And in Acts 15 29, the conclusion of a council in De- Jerusalem that was deciding what the, in, what in the Jewish law Gentiles churches, Gentile churches should follow. They concluded, abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself free from this thing, these things, you will do well. That's all they required the Gentile church to do. So. This is radical, actually setting people free from the law into personal relationship with Christ. Grace means we are enough just as we are. Do you feel loved by God just as you are? Do you feel enough just as you are? If you don't, I encourage you to settle your autonomic nervous system so you can receive from God his love and his grace. So as I said at the beginning, my goal has been to take a step back and consider specifically what's involved in us as human beings to connect with God. I presented to you the idea that we can't really connect and receive love if we're feeling unsafe in our bodies, in our autonomic nervous system. So we need to respect our bodies and our autonomic nervous system. We need to realize the state of our autonomic nervous system has a huge impact on what we can gain through the spiritual disciplines. If we're activated, our thoughts will be racing and it'll be hard to do the spiritual disciplines. We won't be able to be still and know that God is God. So how do you settle your autonomic nervous system? First, in a general sense, you need to become aware of it and the state it's in by slowing down, doing body scans. Remember, that's focusing your attention, scanning your body to check in, getting in touch with the sensations in your body. Then you need to learn to regulate By learning how to slow your breathing down, how to soak in worship, how to be still in God's presence and finally need to persevere because it's a process. Like the growth of a plant in your garden, you need to be patient. It's not like memorizing a verse or understanding a concept. It's a lived bodily experience. I don't mean to communicate anything negative about the spiritual disciplines. My desire is to enable you to participate freely in them without getting caught up in performing and striving. So my recommendation for a pre-spiritual discipline routine would be first, settle your autonomic nervous system. Second, say to yourself, I am loved already fully and completely by God. And reflect on that reality that there's nothing you can do in the spiritual discipline that you're about to do that could make God love you more. His love for you is perfect, 100% and unconditional. Doing the discipline is to orient yourself more around God so you can receive more of his love. And third, if the discipline doesn't go well, that's fine. It reminds me you of your need for God. And fourth, remember that God is the one who has worked in you. He's the potter and you're the clay. So I want to hand it over to Spencer if there's any questions in the chat that people have put forward.
0: There aren't yet, but I saw lots of people taking notes furiously. And so now is the time, folks. We have a good 20 minutes at least. And Nadine said she had a few minutes. Beyond while he, that.
1: Well, Spencer's looking at that. I want to actually read you the words to this song. It's pieces. What can I do for you? What can I bring to you? What kind of song would you like me to sing? Because I'll dance a dance for you, pour out my love for you. What can I do for you, beautiful king? Because I can't thank you enough because you're wonderful. You're so good to me. Then I hear you say, you don't have to do a thing. Simply be with me and let those things go. They can wait another minute. Wait. This moment is too sweet. Please stay with me and love on me a little longer. And so the response in that song is, so I'll wait here at your feet. It's where I want to be. Your voice I will follow. Jesus, you are everything to me. And I'll pour out my life and worship at your feet. I'll love on you a little longer because I'm in love with you. So you know what, you guys can just unmute and ask your questions. If you have questions, go ahead. I was just going to ask, I'm curious about autonomic
2: and, um, nervous activation in terms of like things like more like you stress, like excitement. How is, how does that all, uh, yeah. Like what's the impact of that? Like, cause I would say I'm a pretty excitable type. Um, and so I'm just curious, like, Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what my question is, but like regulating, I guess, in terms of like, it's a positive emotion, but it's still an activation, right?
1: Yeah, Becky, that is a really good question. So it goes a bit beyond what I tried to cover in my talk, but it's a really good question because, you know, there's levels of autonomic nervous system activation. So if you're really activated in the fight, fight mode, that's kind of more than the activation that you'd have if you're excited but it's the same dynamic. Like there's only one type of activation and you can get activated. Like it's like as human beings, it's a little more complicated because we have these different emotions that kind of combine with our autonomic nervous system is really simple. It's just low activation, high activation, you know, whereas our emotions, you know, they can be excitement. They can be, um, surprise they can be sadness happiness anger you know so many different emotions right and if you think about a child a birthday boy or a birthday girl at their birthday party have you ever noticed how easy it is for the child to go from excitement to boom upset and they're crying Mm -hmm. because they're full of activation excitement activation but the valence on that activation can just switch on a dime Mm -hmm. and it can become upset Mm -hmm. so our autonomic nervous system Um, is very simple. And that emotional valence can change very easily. Uh, The question you bring up is, is, I don't know that we fully and completely understand, I would say we don't fully understand (laughs) how emotions interface with the autonomic nervous system. But, you know, you have a good point that when you're excited, you're also somewhat activated. Um, I, you know, probably not as much if you're really in that fight, flight, threat mode? That's a great question. Thanks, Becky.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, is it, we still want to try and regulate so you don't keep going up and up and up, right? Because then you start to get maybe
1: your that's, a, your... that's another really good point because one day you may be really excited and you go to sleep and you know, like maybe the rest of lying down or whatever, calm some of that, but you're still going to be carrying some activation from that. And then the next day, if something happens that stresses you out, you're going to be more sensitive to that yeah. stress. The other thing is that you've got background stress, you know, like your work situation can create background stress that if you don't appreciate that all the different source of, of activation in your life go into one bucket. And that determines how activated you are. You don't have a bucket for work and a different bucket for your personal life. Like it all goes into one bucket. So if you've got a pressure of an upcoming deadline or something at work, don't be surprised if you're more irritable at home because it all adds up. How does other people's activation affect you? That's such a great (laughs) question. Have you noticed how it affects you? I mean...
2: It really, I notice how my kids activation affects me. <laughs> yeah. So I imagine that's a human response, but
1: that's a that's an excellent point. And really, you're communicating an insight there. What when you're around people who are really activated, you're just like when you put your attention to a part in your body that's activated, your whole nervous system activates. If you get around somebody else who's activated, your nervous system is going to activate. You're going to have to actively Settle it down. Okay. So really
2: you point. would suggest that even like in group settings to take that time for people to tune in, to breathe first before even engaging in spiritual
1: disciplines. Yeah. I think that's a really good idea.
2: Nadine, could you
0: comment on um, this present crisis that we're in? And we have been for a year with the pandemic pandemic. Um, It would seem to me that probably everyone is activated as a general rule. I mean, you know, in the culture.
1: I think in our nervous systems, we've been made to resonate with other people's nervous systems like that. Being present in relationships where we feel safe is a source of settling for our nervous system. And people are cut off from that. Like we weren't designed by God. We weren't created to be isolated. So I really agree with you, Margaret, that, that in COVID, everybody's more activated. And especially, and this is something that's so challenging for, for parents, right? Because kids are more activated from being isolated and, and also from, you know, just not being able to run around as freely and all these different things. But parents are also more activated. So if everything is more intense, it's it's harder for parents to, to really help their children get settled. And this is where it's really, really valuable to take some time, even just 30 minutes once a week, uh, with each child individually, one-on-one, and just be with that child following their lead. Co-regulating with that child, that that kind of one-on-one time with children—it's it's not too hard to do if you've just got two kids, you know, because one partner can take one and you can take the other. Um, you know, when you've got more kids, it come, becomes a little bit more challenging. But you know, oftentimes people talk about how when they come home from work, their kids are just crazy, and and they've experimented and just when they first step in the door, just take ten minutes to. Totally give your kids your complete attention, be totally present to them, and they'll settle right down. And everything you do after that is going to be so much easier. So it's real, I'm more concerned about children during COVID than adults because their nervous systems are just developing, right? And they're around activated adults that, you know, everybody's catastrophizing about COVID. And um, very, very, very dysregulated, right? And children, their nervous systems are just developing. So it's really, really important to regulate. I was wondering if you could comment on our cell phones and what's
0: going on with them in our brains as it relates to all of this emotional health regulation,
1: calming down. In terms of cell phones, I guess it depends on what you're doing with your cell phone. Like if you're speaking to somebody on the cell phone, I don't know that it would activate you too much unless that you're having an argument with the person you're speaking to. If you're online on your cell phone, and if you're online a lot on your cell phone, if you're on Facebook on your cell phone, I mean, all screens are very unnatural. You know, like when you live your life, this is why it's so valuable to fast from all screens for a week. My kids, when they went through school, the school assigned that um, as something that they did each year for one week they fasted from all screens, everything slows down. So screens, things are coming at you much faster than they are in real life. And um, it's really important to uh, not have too much of that I I know a lot of people that find they need to um, not be on their phones for, you know, a few hours before they go to bed, or they have trouble getting to sleep. In terms of the impact on the brain, you know, I think, you know, one of the things they found is that Sesame Street was very bad for children's brains. That's, that's shown in the research. Like, if you think about Sesame Street story, um, I mean, it's, it's, it, it was a great children's, sh- uh, show and it, it taught a lot of things, but Sesame Street moves pretty fast, you know, like, if you think about the counting of one, two, three, and things are flying at the screen and things are bouncing all around and the kids are glued to the screen. And that's one of the reasons why they developed Teletubbies, you know. You know, I don't know if any of you know about Teletubbies. You know, they're those, those little creatures and they they walk really slow. It's a really slow show and they run <laughs> like, that show was a response to the research that came out about how damaging Sesame Street was for children's brains. So, you know, like, you got to keep your kids off the screens. You know, you really do. It's so important to brain development. And, I mean, I think that, that I mean, you're, you're the parent. Like, if you start from the time they're little, I mean, yeah, don't use the TV as a as a babysitter. And, you know, don't give your kids a phone until they're, you know, as old as you possibly can. And um, when it comes to uh, the time that they have online or on the screen, basically, you know, you're in charge. So you determine how much time it is, whether it's half an hour on a weekday and, you know, an hour on the weekend day or like you do, it. you, you, you're the one who determines that you're the, you're the parent. And you're the one that has the power. Um but, I mean, if you're, you know, in order to do that, you really need to be in, in, in relationship with your kids, right? It's going to involve a lot more time for you to be involved with your kids, to parent like that. I think a lot of people use screens as babysitters. I was just wondering, during COVID, uh, one of the things that we are facing is is boredom, right? I think, and uh, not being able to do all the activities or distractions I guess or whatever but how does that fit in with um activation like I mean boredom you'd think it calms us would calm us down but it doesn't right no you see what you're describing is an activated nervous system is the one that feels bored a settled nervous system feels calm when there's not a lot to do they're still they would go they, you know, they would feel comfortable doing it a spiritual discipline. But if you're activated, you need something to do. And if you can't get out and be with people or, you know, do something, you feel restless. So I think boredom is much more related to activation. You know, that feeling of restlessness where it's difficult just to be still. You know, you want to fill you your time with doing it. People pick up their phones. You know that's activation. You're picking up your phone because it feels most comfortable if your mind is going or your body is going at a pace that's similar to how your autonomic nervous system is going. That's activation. So, and also, like when you take it to kids, when they say they're bored, is that possibly activation too? <laughs> it can mean a lot of different. I mean, when you think about it at times kids can be incredibly creative, right? Like space and time gives them the opportunity to be creative. So I think there's a lot of different things that can cause boredom with children, you know, but that lack of capacity to, I mean, it's personality too, right? Um, So it can be a lot of different things, but I think those of you who have kids, you should experiment with it and see if, you know, if your child says they're bored Get them to do some breathing, or you know, something that settles them, and see if they feel less bored. That would be a great way to get an answer to that question. So,
0: if you do that, if you follow that suggestion of taking a moment to try and settle your autom- autonomic nervous system before going into spiritual disciplines, and you actually realize, oh, I'm I'm feeling quite activated. You know, there's lots of emotions swirling around in me, and I want to deal with that first. You mentioned um, soaking in you know, some worship music for a time. Are there any other suggestions of ways that you could do that settling work, but inviting God into that work with you?
1: You know, I think music is really powerful, not just because of the lyrics or the melody, but actually, you know, if you sing along, it's powerful because when you sing, especially if you're singing in low notes, it causes vibration, in your throat and your pharynx and actually you should be able to feel that vibration go right down to your gut and that vibration mechanically stimulates your vagus nerve and is a break i guess what i would add to it is to sing as well i'm a highly sensitive person
2: so when when practicing my spiritual disciplines you know the temperature is off, I can't concentrate. The room is unclean. I can't concentrate. Something smells, I can't concentrate. You know, like one little thing just I can't concentrate. I just I'm highly sensitive to my surroundings. Um
1: so I just so, want to stop you there for a yeah. sec. Can I stop you, Andrew? See, my question about that is. You, it, to me, my suspicion would be, and you need to check this with your own system, but my suspicion would be that if you regulated and settled your nervous system, you would be less sensitive to that whole list of things. That sensitivity to your external environment, the temperature, any change in it, all of that, that is the system that's on alert. So would you say
2: just breathing, that's going to be my main I
1: mean, I do an experiment and get into a situation where you're being troubled by the temperature, say, or you're being troubled by something in specific and notice how troubled you are. Then take 25 slow breaths. And then stop and notice how troubled you are after those breaths. And that will really tell you something about how much autonomic nervous system activation is making you sensitive. Because it, autonomic nervous system activation makes us very sensitive and reactive to our environments. So rather than looking at it as I'm sensitive to this and that and the other and the other, you know, it, it's kind of more manageable to think it would just be one thing, right? So do an experiment with that and see if that's what it is. Can I just follow up with the ask a question? It sounded from what Andrea was saying, she was asking, is breathing the best way of doing that? Is there one mechanical way that's better or is it depending on each person or how, what do you suggest for people? I mean, breathing is the most reliable, like... People respond different ways to different things, and there's more complicated ways to regulate, but breathing, slow breathing is the simplest, most reliable. Now, with the one caveat, I need to say that if you are in freeze, if you're so activated that your system is actually in freeze, you'll find it first when you slow breathe that you're going to feel more activated. When you take your first five or 10 breaths, you have to keep breathing until you get settled. Because if you start off in freeze, your system is, your adrenaline reliably coming down. But if you're in freeze, that coming down is fine at first. So that your awareness of your activation is actually going to go up. And in that case, what I find people do, and I'd say, I'd say about 30% of the people that I meet with, they come back in and they say, oh, my goodness, that breathing is terrible. It makes me feel worse, you know? And so what you need to do is make sure, just be prepared for that response. And you have to keep breathing through that. Know that that, that activation is going to peak out. And then if you keep breathing, you're going to come down to a really settled place. That's the one caveat about breathing. Other than that, breathing is really reliable for settling. Apart from that thawing business, reason thawing is the most challenging thing about the autonomic nervous system.
0: Thank you so much for your time, and uh, this has been this has been great. And thanks everybody for your participation in these last seven or eight sessions. Uh, trust that you've been blessed by them, and that these will be formative for you as you uh, move ahead.